Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. Today's podcast guest is the one and only rapper, entrepreneur, mogul, record executive, Rick Ross. Rick Ross just wrote his latest book, The Perfect Day to Boss Up, A Hustler's Guide to Building Your Empire. And this book is perfect timing because Ross started writing this in the pandemic, and it was an opportunity for him to reevaluate, reassess things, and see how he was going to have to shift his business because he relied so much on live performance and touring. How was he going to shift things? And that's so much of what I write about in Trapital. So this was a really relevant topic here, especially given the interviews I've had on this platform and the conversations we've had as well. Ross also talks about where his broader business ventures fit in. He now owns over 25 different wing stops. He's a partner with Bel Air Sparkling Wine, which is one of the fastest growing bubbles companies in the world. And he has over 20 different partnerships overall. So it's great to talk to him about how he assesses that, how he looks at all of that. We also talk about how Ross has monetized the home that he now lives in. He purchased his home from Evander Holyfield, learned from a lot of the financial mistakes that Evander had made, and Ross has now used this home as an asset where he has hosted films like Coming to America and Superfly, which have used his property to film many of the scenes in their movies. This was a good chat all around. We also talked about music, whole bunch of different business ventures, and just the mindset that you have to be to level up. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Here's my interview with Rose. All right, we got Rick Ross here today, who's now a second time author of this book here, A Perfect Day to Boss Up. And Ross, I got to give you credit because I read this book. I think I read it in a day and my wife had asked me, oh, how's the book so far? And I was like, oh, I finished it already. And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, no, he just has a way of writing that just keeps you compelled and just makes you want to keep going. So good job with this one. Really enjoyed it. Man, that mean a lot, man. That mean a lot. I appreciate it. So one of the things I noticed while reading it is that it definitely seemed like COVID was an opportunity for you to reevaluate things, assess things, right? This fungus, as you put it, is here and it's going to change the game up. This fungus is among us. (laughs) So how do you feel like you've changed as a person since the pandemic? Well, since the pandemic, I most definitely had more time to just spend with myself, reflect with myself. I was on social media a lot more and I just got the answer and really see the same questions that I got 90% of the time. You know, people wanted to know, Rose, you really lost weight. You did it naturally. How did you keep it off? And then the question I got the most is, Rose, how did you become so wealthy? Tell me. You know what I mean? So, and you know, the more time I spent on my Instagram, on my IG, I'm like, damn, I see this 5,000 times. And so I just began talking on my story in the morning a lot more, showing them what I ate, just to answer those questions, showing them how I moved, showing them different things like that. So I said, I I felt it was time for this. Definitely. And in terms of that wealth generation, because I feel like that was the central theme throughout the book. And it's funny, I actually had your attorney on the podcast a couple of months ago, Laron Rogers, and he was talking about how you and him are on this road to a billion and how that's really the way that you're trying to set things up. What does that look like for you? What's Ross's road to a billion? Shit, it's a reality, baby. It's a reality. And as a matter of fact, let me just applaud. 
Let's applaud each other, brother. Let's applaud each other. But, man, I'm still inspired, man. I'm really inspired. I'm currently, you know, I have 20-plus current partnerships. And I think what's really impressive about it is not the, the partnerships themselves, but I wake up every day looking to over-deliver, you know, looking to over-deliver. You know, I want to make it to the office first and be, the, you know, the one to leave last. That's just my secret. You know, I want to outwork everybody that's in the room. You know, me being, becoming an artist, I had majority of the time, I wrote for years, much more years than other artists. And when I got in the studio, that's when I realized the real gift I had developed. When it would take an artist usually three or four days to write a dope record, I could write three records in a day. And I'm talking about, and you know, leave and go do some other stuff. You know what I mean? So I just really believe in it, taking advantage of the time and the opportunity we got. We got to. You mentioned that you got 20 partnerships right now. How do you evaluate all of those? Because I'm sure you get a lot inbound. What makes the cut? How do you decide what makes the cut? Because usually... I move the best when I'm involved with things that I love, things that I care about. You know, the same way Ricky Rose, that was a nickname that was given to me maybe 15, 20 years ago. So when it came to me being around champagne, when it came to me celebrating, me being in a club, it just came naturally. So for me, I wake up in the morning, I have me a glass, you know, and I share that with the friends. I let them see that. Before I had the opportunity to be a part of Bel-Air, I remember when I would be in the club and just see Puff Daddy's Ciroc. And just because he was a brother with an alcohol, I would pick it up in the club and take pictures with it. You know, and I did that for a year before we sat down and I became an official Ciroc boy. But, you know, when it comes to things that I enjoy, I'm going to go above and beyond. You know what I mean? So, for instance, you know, I turned down a seven-figure uh, cigarette situation. I can't do that. I don't smoke squares, homie. I won't help you with that. You know what I mean? Um, but I partnered with Burner and created my own strand, Collins Ave. And once again, me being a fan of partnerships, because I believe as a partner, if you get the opportunity to, to create something special with, with the best person in that market, you get to watch and learn firsthand. And that's something you could keep forever. Right. And you doing the type of partnerships that are true to who you are, I think that's the difference. Because one of the things you mentioned in the book was about how you learned from Evander Holyfield, right? And you learned from the things not to do. He was out here trying to sell barbecue and he was starting record labels. I'm like, that is not his brand. Why is he doing that? I thought that was a really good point. And it was true. If I was him, I would have been selling my boxing gloves and my protein and stay fit workout shit you know i'd have been on the peloton vibe if i was the homie but which is real you know so I, I try to stick with the things that i love the most and hey man we winning definitely i thought the other part that was interesting you talked about how live performances have been your biggest source of income to date in your music career so far. I feel like over time, that's probably shifting, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the moves that you're involved in, right? You got Bel Air, you got the wing stops. And I feel like over time, especially on that road to a billion, it probably may look more like some of those partnerships and product sales as opposed to some of the live performance. Oh, it's without a doubt. 
it's without a doubt. My performing, my fans, and my music, you know, most definitely where my heart is, but it's without a doubt. And I remember when I sat with one of my partners many, many years ago, and he told me, uh, this is going to be the most lucrative venture you have. And I never forget, I laughed in his face because I was, I was like, yo, you know, it takes real arrogance to say that, but you're wrong. And he, he, he was really right. But, you know, once again, through experience, you learn what committing 10 years of dedication to get you. You know what I mean? And as successful as my recording career is and me being one of those artists that uh, clubs, uh, concerts, arenas, whatever it is, Phil Rose could come out here and do every damn hustle and stay scheme and pop that. And the list goes on. So I've always been one of those artists that was performing. And, yo, it's just, you know, some big things going on. It is. Yeah. And I feel like for you specifically, performing is something you love. Like you're never going to give that up completely. I love it. I love going to the, I love seeing fans. I love seeing the reaction of the records because for so many years before I got on, you know, I felt like it wasn't no love. So even after 15 years of being on, I still could be in a a smaller venue and when my records come on I look at those first five rows just for their eyes and then you know I could be paid just for a 20 minute performance and do 30 or 40 just for that response and with that like what would your ideal mix look like because I assume that you never want to stop performing but you also want to have more and more of these deals. Do you feel like you're still going to have an occasional tour? You may do a pop-up thing. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. Yeah, 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 that's Rosé. That's the hustler that's in me. Because at at one point who would imagine that I could have 20 partnerships? I really believe I would be able to have 50 with no stress. And to me that's the key to being a winner. That's the key to the book is finding a way to not be burnt out, not stressing yourself, finding the joy in the things you do and just turn up on that. Lean on that. You know what I'm saying? Yo, this is the cool part about, you know, if I'm you, this is the cool part about the interviews. Well, let's start them like that. Let's lean towards that and let's see where it takes us. And when you realize that you look up, you've been undid an hour interview with somebody and that shit felt like nothing. Then the, you, some of the things you discuss from the interviews, you make notes and you turn that into a film in three years. That's just the way. Let's capitalize on everything we got going, everything we're doing. And over time, it's only going to become more valuable. Definitely. And I feel for you, one of the things you've leaned into over your career has been Wingstop. And it's been dope to just see how you built that up. And I know at the time of publishing, you said you had owned 25 of them. Is that still the number or... I'm going to be honest, I don't even know now. Because I, <laughs> I, I remember at one point, everyone I bought, it was a big deal to me. And it still is. I don't take nothing for granted. It still is. But I always make it clear for all the youngsters, you know, the young ones that was just like me, who never knew where to start at to become a franchisee. It's one thing to have a couple dollars and you buy, but where do you find the employees? How do you find who's going to manage it? Who do you trust with the money? Who do you, you know, and so those are the real questions. And so when I first began, I count. And after 25, I was like, man, who, would, who, who could fathom this? 
who could imagine this? And then I went on and went back to, you know, my mom's hometown, Clarksdale, Mississippi, opened, opened a new one. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of them things, man. I'm happy. I'm excited. And I thank my team, my mom, my sister, and everybody that worked with us. What do you think of the other artists right now that are starting to get more involved with fast food? Not necessarily in franchisee the way you are, but the way that you're repping lemon pepper wings. You got the Travis Scott meal. You got the sweetie meal. What are your thoughts on that? I'm happy because our culture drove so many of these products for so long without the brands just really putting us up front when really that's what we should have been doing. That's from Kentucky Fried Chicken, Popeye, everything. You know, and so it to me, it's dope when you see this Sweetie Mill, when you see the Travis Scott, because it's going to encourage these same artists to make some investments. And let's continue to invest in ourselves because you could carry these brands. And a lot of times a female rapper wouldn't know I could carry uh, entire movement as far as working along with a franchise and I know they can now and Sweetie just gotta keep pushing it keep tagging it, keep posting it every day the same way I wake up and do it every day because the ones who rock with you go embrace it. Definitely and I think too this is the part that you're at least at now. You have ownership in this to some extent. I don't know what their deals look like. A lot of them I assume are probably cashed up front I don't know what getting equity in McDonald's may look like, but it would be cool to see them have that equity stake or that ownership stake. And I know that's a bit more common in the startup investing, but that's the one piece of it that I do think. And maybe that will evolve. Maybe that'll be the next level to this. And to me, I feel like you got to start somewhere and you got to start somewhere. And, and this is how you begin to sit at the table. This is how you begin to sit at the table with the, those who make those decisions. And they may just say, hey, instead of me getting paid for this little movement, I want to put it in stocks. I want some shares. I want some of this. I want some of that. And that's how you start those conversations. Definitely. And I think, too, for you, one of the things at least I've realized is that you have your food, you have Bel Air, you have all these things, and all of that is part of the empire. And I'm curious, where do you see MMG? Where do you see Maybach Music Group in the future fitting into that vision? That's my heart. You know what I mean? That'll always be the anchor for everything I do. Everybody that's on the lineup from uh, Meek, Wale, myself, we often to get ready and release new projects. And to me, that was, that'll always be the anchor. That'll always drive me. We brought some new artists to the table and um, I look forward to the that next drive we finna make beginning at the end of this year through next year, without a doubt. One of the things that had stuck out to me in the book, you had written about how you really lucked out with having Wally and Meek on the label and how early on it could have been a completely different vibe based on some of the other artists. And I remember even reading a few things at the time, and I know you mentioned this in Hurricanes as well, you're trying to get Wiz. I know at one point you may have reached out to Tyler, the creator, and I got to be honest with you, I couldn't even imagine what the MMG vibe would have been like had it not been the three of you that were there at the core versus some of the other artists that you were looking at or trying to sign? I've always been, I'm real creative, you know, and I got an open ear when it comes to music. I love all types, all vibes of music. And that's why I ended up signing artists like Staly, Omarion, Rocky Fresh, and it goes on. Of course, I love street music and that's the, you know, the easiest type of music for me to make is just what comes from my heart. But like I said, I was fortunate. 
for Meek Wale to just take off the way they did, and they still winning. You know what I mean? And um, I felt like for the last few years, I just wanted to focus on everything around me, just to plant the seeds for these things, the books, the potential films, the other brands, and now we could go back into the music. I want to sign some artists, but when I sign artists, you know, I really dedicate not just the brand and the resources, but myself as well into them because I really believe in when I sign somebody, you're going to win. You know what I mean? So I look forward to next year and the artists that, you know, I got cooking up right now. Yeah. And you mentioned film. So I want to talk about that. And I want to talk specifically about how you've made use of your home, which you referred to as the promised land. This is a asset that you've been able to monetize. You've had Superfly, you've had Coming to America filmed there. And I think it's cool that you've been able to do it in that type of way. And I got to ask, was that always the vision? Like when you first got the spot, like, oh yeah, this could be a dope setting to have films or did it just kind of develop over time? No, when I purchased it, I most definitely had a vision of taking advantage of these 280 acres. It's 280 acres. You know, I don't know nobody else with 280 acres. So whoever need 280 acres, you could come use this. You know what I mean? And once again, me purchasing this from Evander Holyfield, who at one time, you know, 550 million came through his pockets. You know what I mean? He spent 25 million on this estate. I got to make sure I'm not in this position. You understand? So I'm going to commit more myself to it. You know, so when he had the 17 employees maintaining the yard, I went and bought a tractor, a John Deere tractor. So it's me and my couple homies who I let them handle the mulch and the weeds and the, the engine. And I'm going to cut the majority of the 280 acres. You know what I'm saying? And that's how we spend time, you know, out there. We talk business. And then, you know, while I'm cutting grass, man, I'm, I'm really spending time by myself. No music, no nothing, just quiet time. You know, and just getting the focus. So, like I say in the book, for a real boss, it's no job too large or too small. Because if I walk in my franchise and if the floor needs to be swept, instead of me calling somebody from the register or somebody from the fryer, I grab the broom myself and sweep that up. That's the hustle I am. I respect that. In terms of the lawn care, though, I know you're a busy person. You got a lot on your plate. How often do you get to cut the lawn yourself? Well, you know, even when I'm at my busiest, you know, I may be gone for two weeks and then I come back. So I make sure before I leave or when I come, because it's something I'm looking forward to. Of course, I love my yard, manicured, beautiful. I want it to look like a golf course. But it's a part of me that when I get back, when I see the, the weeds rotting up, oh, I'm coming to get y'all motherfucking ass. I'm coming. I'm back, motherfucker. That's really, it's a part of me that's whispering that in my goddamn mind. So I can't help it, man. I can't help it. I can't help it. Bro, I know that you talked about getting John Deere and ultimately having some type of sponsorship or something like that with them. I feel like that's fitting. But I think the next move after that is some like Scott's Turf Care or something like that. The way you're talking about weeds, that is a commercial pitch you just did right there, bro. I may have somebody send them an email today. Scott's Turf Care. Ricky Rose, the promised land, baby. We got a bright future. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean that shit too, man. I I just really I had a team send out emails like yo and let them know I, I you know I'm a fan of what they doing. If there's any way we could sit at the table and make something happen, and you know when I do that, you'll be surprised how many people hit back and say yo, we watch you all the time. We see what the play is. Yo, let's do something. Right. And I could even see how you were thinking a few steps ahead. I think it was a few months ago you had had that Forbes interview where they took the picture of you on the tractor, right? And I know in the back of your mind, you have just been like, the social media, the blogs is going to go wild. John Deere's going to see this. Everybody's going to be tagging them. And then that can at least start the conversation. You knew what you were doing. Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> but yo, it, that's how we got to plan everything. You know, as young brothers, the same way we we'll lay out a week worth of outfits, shirts, pants, shoes, and lay that shit out across, and we already know we're going to wear for a week, we should strategize the same way we do our business moves, our marketing. The people we want to be in business with. There's so many people I sit down with, with homies and, man, I want to do this with them, but did you reach out to them? Nah. What the hell are you waiting on? That's what this social media for. This ain't for the pretty chicks in the high heels and all that shit. You could just like that shit as you go by, but it's time to get to the business. We got to reach out to the people to, that we really want to do something with. That's what this for. Put your email together, proofread it for two or three days, and then send it straight up. Yeah. Especially now. I mean, I feel like you got to send those stuff like during the pandemic. There's no reason to not at least try to make some moves, change the position. Like you never know what could happen. You, you never, never know. know. You never know. And, I, and when you really feel like you got something to bring to the table, stand behind it and let them know. And that's what it is. Hey, man, we got something to do, man. Hey, man, we got some big business going on and we could do this together. And this is what I feel we need to do to elevate it. If you got your ideas, give me your ideas. Definitely. I'm a definitely. great partner, yeah. So in terms of the, the promised land itself, one of the other things you mentioned is that you got so many rooms in there, you don't know if you've been able to get to all of them yet. Where are you at right now? Have you been able to get to every corner of the house yet? You know, of course, I've got to all the bedrooms. But when I said that, I really mean that because, you know, it was not. It was a few months ago where I found a room inside of a room in a room. Like, it's like that. You know what I mean? And when you look, okay, because you could go into a room that, like if you're on the first floor where I have everything set up to wash the clothes at, you know, of course, it's a closet. You go in the closet, it's another big room. And then you walk in there and then you find another door and then it's just, it's one of those things. So, you know, of course, when they say 109 rooms, it's nowhere near 109 bedrooms, but when they say rooms, it's rooms on rooms, and you always finding different things. And I'm like, damn, I mean, you know, I went in the bowling alley, and you know, let's say I have the bowling lanes. So I had never went behind where the pins get picked up in that, because it had never been a reason for me. I just bowled, you know, everything is gold, and put the pins back down. But one day I went behind into the room where and then it's another room in a room back there as well, which I had never needed to go into. <laughs> so that's what I meant by that. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it's different. It's different, but it's cool. That's Man, wild. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. And I think there was also a line in there that you had the largest residential swimming pool of anyone in the country. 
how did you determine that? Because I mean, how do you know like what I mean? Are... That was that's what the fact checkers came and told Rose. And then you know, they pulled it up, they Googled it. Oh, okay, okay, I'm, I see you. I see you. you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it wasn't nothing that I went looking for, you know what I mean? That's all the, the dudes who, you know, check the facts. That's what they told Rose. And then, you know, I had a few people Google it, and that's what it was. No, I respect that. I respect that. One of the things that I think that you mentioned that really stuck out to me was how there is all of these new things that are popping up in business and you may not necessarily be doing all of them at the moment, but you still need to find a way to level up on them, whether it's cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, or even looking at something like Wingstop and its stock to some perspective. And I imagine that that can be critical, but it can also be tough because it's like the things you are already doing are working so well. So it's not as if you're not doing things, but it's like that trade-off, right? And I'm sure that to some extent that never stops. Right. Most definitely. But like I try to explain is the more successful you become, the more opportunities that surround themselves around you. You find yourselves playing golf with such and such and such and such and such. And they say, Rick, I love what you're doing. And are you interested in we'd love for you to be a part of this? When, you know, a few years ago, you wouldn't even have that opportunity. So now you look around, there's there's more things going on and it's better ways for people to explain it. And then they put you, they put you, they bring you in at the top of, on the top floor versus you find your way to get in through the basement. You know, so you find yourself sitting down with Dan Fleischman and these other guys talking about online crypto, et cetera, et cetera, introducing you to people that's basically ready to hold your hand to make sure you win. You know, it's a different thing because I was never a fan of, like my mom always told me, let's invest in things we could touch. You buy that building on the corner, they can't build that building over. They got to buy that building. So that was just one of them things. And I'm sure like I was raised similarly in terms of the intent, like what is intangible and wanting to have things you can actually touch. But yeah, I'm sure that there must have been a time where you must have been told about Bitcoin or some of these years ago. And it may have at first been like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll think about that later because I did the same thing. But then eventually things change. Right. Without a doubt. And it's a lot of things you see. Wow. I, I, I regret not not moving on that. But at the same time, you take the good with the bad. So my homies that I watch win, they also come back and tell me, damn, Rose Day over the last month, man, we took a dip that I ain't never seen. And then you just got to let them know, you know what? Just you got to follow your heart. If this something you love doing, because, hey, man, I know buddies that love to go to Vegas to gamble. And then you doing your Bitcoin thing. I would probably do the Bitcoin thing. You know what I mean? So um, you just got to take the good with the bad. Mm, No, definitely. Without a doubt. The other thing you mentioned, too, in the book, you were talking about features and just how so many of the artists that, you know, want you, you're still in high demand for your features, which is good. And you were able to help, you know, rattle, you know, a bunch of those off, especially early on in the pandemic. I'm curious, has the feature market itself changed for you at all? Like, I mean, I'm sure you have your ranges and your rates, but I imagine that you could probably charge even more to some extent, just given how many artists wanted to make music the past 18 months because they couldn't tour. Yes, a lot of artists that wanted to make music and we have done some incredible features. I want to salute DJ Snake. We just did the Run It, the head single for 
Um, I don't want to say the movie wrong. I don't want to say that the, the, it's it's in that Shang Lee vibe. You know what I mean? I just went to the world premiere, and the, and the movie is super dope. But yeah, you know they running with the record. It's on ESPN for the, the football commercial, so on and so forth. So you know we still making. Me being in the game since 05, man, I'm 15 years in, and I'm still having fun with the game, and I'm still having fun with the wordplay. And, um, you know, we still making it happen. And I'm finna drop a bomb-ass album. I'm talking some big boy shit, too. I'm talking some big boy shit, so everybody got to be ready. <laughs> they going to say, Rose, they ain't have to do it like that. But I did. I did. The game ain't based on sympathy, man. That's one of the chapters in the book. If you want to sit at the table with the big boys, don't nobody want to hear about your great auntie that died two weeks ago. We know it's unfortunate. We know you had to walk 18 miles to get to work and your ingrown toenail hurts. We know that. But the big boys at the table only want to win. And when a big boy like me allow you to sit at the table, I owe it to all my other partners that's sitting at the table to bring somebody to the table that's going to help us win. So ain't no, the game ain't based on sympathy. So if you want to win, your ass better go hard, straight up. So what should we expect from this next album? I know you say you got some big things coming, but... Oh, I'm talking big shit. I'm talking big money. And I'm talking big shit. You know, that's what I do the best. I talk big shit, and that's what I'm doing. I'm talking some shit. Some people may take offense to it, but some people should. It's only right. <laughs> In terms of taking offense to it, I was impressed and appreciate your honesty when you were talking about Kanye West and that relationship and that dynamic in the book. And obviously that's still your boy, but you didn't hold back in terms of, you know, some thoughts about, hey, like this was an interesting situation and I see how they're moving in terms of trying to get the word out. But I'm not necessarily going to do that the same way in terms of trying to get awareness or trying to go viral. I thought that was a really interesting point because I don't think that a lot of people, especially at your level, talk about that in terms of how to get attention and how to get awareness for things there's so many different ways that you could do it as simple as just waking up in the morning and wearing you know these dudes will wear tight underwear just to you know to go by you know to be trending and sell something you know three days later but i'm not going to do that you know whatever my my record sell i want it to be genuine you know i want that to lean on the music you know what i'm saying whenever i talk shit in my records it was just not for the attention of talking shit, but I really had a point to make. Even when I first came in the rap game and I targeted 50 Cent, it wasn't to just target him, but really it would have been anybody that the streets of the game considered to be the big boy or the realest one. Because I wanted to make sure people understood my lack of fear my wordplay, and I knew that would give me an opportunity to show people my wordplay where I could create records like Mafia Music, you know, so on and so forth. So it wasn't just personal for 50 Cent. It didn't matter. Whoever was in that position, I would have did it to. You know what I mean? And I understand that. And being in a culture, you got to stay prepared for that. So as one of the chapters say, I'm always war ready. Because if you step on Rose's shoes, I'm going to have a good time teaching you a valuable lesson. And that go for any artist that's in the game. But I think it's clear to these guys. I think it's clear because I actually enjoy it. I enjoy it. I go listen to some instrumentals 
for a long time and just think about the ways I'm finna make, you know, whoever's related to this person come and put their arm around them and say, hey, I heard what Rose said. You know, <laughs> that's that's my that's my goal when I'm into that. But me being a fan of the music, me being a fan of Ice Cube, watching what him and NWA did, and you know, me growing up in Miami, and I never took that personal the differences Ice Cube and NWA had, but it made me love Ice Cube as a writer and a rapper when he dropped that America's Most Wanted. I was like, oh man, I gotta make an album like that. Oh, so you gotta be the underdog and have your back against the wall to make this shit feel like this. Oh, that's what I'm finna do. I don't give a damn. I'm the underdog and I want, I'm still an underdog. Even though the dudes that I came in attacking, I'm, man, much more valuable than these guys. But I love the way being the underdog feels, so I'm going to stay there. And that's my choice. It's a mentality thing. I think it's it's a mentality thing. And I feel like you've been able to stick with that. And even though I don't necessarily think of you as like an underdog in the general sense relative to 50 Cent, but I think that you've like maintained that persona. You maintain that vibe. And I feel like in a lot of ways, like it's a breath of fresh air, right? I know that right now, you know, you have like Kanye and Drake going with their back and forth and their beef, but you don't really hear and see the same amount of like beef records and diss records that you once did so i'm sure part of you even just from like a hip-hop perspective may also miss that because you feel like you're bringing something of course i miss the shift of hip-hop because when i came in the focus was getting money that's why i let them know i ain't just say i'm a boss because it, it rhymed with ross but shit it could have been anything else that was really the mentality of it and a lot of times when I listen to the music now, it's more about getting high. You know, let's get high. Let's get, man, let's get to the money. Let's go buy back the block. Let's link up and do records. Let's network. And that's what we was doing. Me, DJ Khaled, Young Money, Lil Wayne, Drake, Drizzy, French Montana. That was when I executive produced French first album. That's what it was about, us networking. And I want to make sure we keep that alive in the culture, man. Let's get stronger. Let's build an empire. Let's network with each other. That's what it is. Mm, definitely. Definitely. It's funny. I feel like you mentioned the names, whether it's French Montana, Drake, Wayne. And I feel like Pop That probably was like one of the last posse cuts that was like a legit club banger that like stayed a club banger for like a year plus man that was something i miss that yeah that shit's still banging right now (laughs) it's still banging right now it still is straight up for real yeah all right well ross we get to the end here but before we let you go anything else that you want to plug or you want to let the trapital audience know about man you already know man the book it hit shelves september 7th and the book is filled with gems. I just want the hustlers and the entrepreneurs to know, go and get it. You know, like I say, I got 20 plus partnerships and I wake up every day trying to find a way to over deliver. Let's over deliver. Let's be the first ones in the office, the last ones to leave. That's what's cool. Then the rest of this shit going to come to you, man. It'll be easy, man. The rest of it's going to come to you. I'm having a virtual toast with everybody tuned in virtual toast man and anytime you need me big homie i'm here for you anytime appreciate that and if there's anyone that wants to send you stuff that the products i know you had that plug in the book where should they send them to 
Send it to the promised land. It's the biggest residence in the U.S., man. <laughs> we here, man. Just Google it, baby. It'll get to me. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapolo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.